Yeah, welcome back. Wordsters, this is the first pop-up submissions of the new year. And from everyone here who's involved in producing live show, we send you our most sincere good wishes for a happy and healthy 2022. As you know, pop-up submissions is the show that takes you behind the scenes of the publishing industry to answer that big question, what actually happens when you send your brilliant new manuscript to an agent like me or directly to a publisher? Well, this is what happens. For the first time ever, you can be a fly on the wall as we search for tomorrow's best-selling books and authors. And here to help me this week is the inestimably good Genius Room. This is Alec Baldwin. Oh, God, I had no idea Alec was in this week. I'm so sorry, it's quite scary, actually. And my two live guests, first guest of the new year, and we're very proud of him, is Jamie Mollett. Yeah, one of the original Utopians all those years ago, and now he's a successfully published author with two novels under his belt, and more to come. And one of our most perennially popular guests on the show is bookworm, bibliophile, and indeed bibliomaniac, it's Dean Baxter. Let's see what you're saying about us. And this is from Michelle. I think Michelle is joining us live, actually, at the moment. Uh, thanks for the valuable feedback. I would highly recommend any new writers putting their first 700 words in front of this panel of incredible, honest people. I wonder who was on the show that time. And critics, I didn't learn to read until I was almost an adult, and I can tell you that the wise input of the Latopians will give you the opportunity to know how to use your voice and your talent. Michelle, that's terrific. Thank you very much. I didn't know that was going to come up. I'm so pleased about that. There's no monthly leader because this is the first show of the month. So let's indeed um, show you something rather exciting that's going to happen in the colony this week, and that is craft chat. Now, if you've been a Latopian for a year or two, you might remember we used to have extremely successful and very popular craft chats. Uh, they went away for a bit, they're coming back this week, and I think you're going to enjoy them. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. And straight on, straight into our very first mission of the new year. This is from Lizzie. Lizzie's is she's with us live now on YouTube and she's so nervous. Relax, Lizzie, it's gonna be fine. I hope. It's YA Fantasy. It's Shade Demons Exist, book one, the House of Oaks series. That's quite a mouthful of a title. Shay's eyes, this is uh this is blurb, Shay's eyes flutter open. Dazed. She's perilously perched to the edge of a 30-foot drop. A distant voice snaps her back to her senses. Shay plunges into a realm she thought only existed in Celtic folklore. She learns she is half shield maiden, and her father is laird of the House of Oaks, a secret organisation of guardians. But he's missing. With Kaelin by her side, Shay must evoke her powers and master the ways of the warrior. Only she doesn't fit in. All she really wants is to find her father. Let me tell you about you, Lizzie. I have a BSc in Social Economics, a natural curiosity in trying to figure out what makes people tick. 
I'm hoping I've included the best-seller secret formula in my book. We hope you have too. I'm working as a school librarian, but we love librarians, actually. Absolutely, yes. Librarians fan club, number one fan. Um, but looking to retire early to concentrate on writing the rest of this series. My tale was born at the Bruce Festival enactment... Not sure what that is. Uh, when I attended the Fife event as one of the storytellers. Dressed in my sackcloth. Sounds cool, I'd like a photo. Uh, telling stories of old. I was transported and knew this other world setting was where my novel would be set, along with Celtic myths and legends and creatures woven into my storyline. I can tell you, there's no one more appropriate to read this than Emily. Shady Demons Exist, Book One, The House of Oaks series, by Lizzie, read by Emily. Chapter One, Monday, 14th of September, 2015, 4.32am. No, Alex, wait! Fionn called out desperately as he lost sight of his dearest friend. The partial eclipse had blocked most of the usual early morning light and cast distorted shadows over the glen. A dark blanket of cloud, which seemed to join the sky to the land, consumed Fionn, leaving his visibility obscured. He scanned left and right, straining his eyes to catch a glimpse of Alex. Fionn stopped briefly and held his breath as he listened. In the eerie silence, the only sound was that of his own heart pounding in his chest. He felt the chill in the air as the cold bit into him. He watched clouded breath disperse as he finally exhaled. He replayed the previous scene in his mind. Only moments earlier they had been side by side. Alex had joked that a woollen kilt was the best choice of attire for keeping warm on a dry September morning when Jack Frost was out. Then their fun halted abruptly. Alex saw something Fionn had not. I don't believe it. What do they think they're doing? Fionn, come on man. You, stop. Alex had pointed and shot off like a hunter pursuing prey. But Fionn did not see anyone. A shift in cloud cover finally allowed Fionn to catch sight of Alex up ahead. Alex's weathered face had distorted with anger. His nostrils flared and eyes narrowed as he glanced back, beckoning for Fionn to advance. Alex had switched from jovial to deadly serious in an instant. Fionn saw Alex bend down and swiftly pull his dirk from his long woollen sock. The short metal blade glinted in his hand. His sandy shoulder-length hair trailed behind him as he once again charged forward and out of Fionn's sight. Fionn heard him call out again for whomever it was to stop. Then there were no more sightings. Alex had vanished into oblivion, as if he had dropped off the edge of the world. Fionn found the terrain particularly difficult to traverse as he scrambled forward. It all felt unfamiliar and hostile, but Fionn knew this land well. There was no cliff to fall from or caverns to stumble into. Fionn called out, Alex, where are you? Alex did not reply. Fionn heard a scuffling sound off in the distance. Instincts told him to follow, but the sound had come from much farther away than where Alex could be. There was no way a man of six foot two inches in height, weighing around 15 stones, could have travelled as far in such a short time. At 47 years old, Alex was still a strong man, but not built for speed anymore. Who had Alex given chase to? Anxiety coiled in Fionn's stomach. Still unable to see more than a short distance in front of him, he quickened his pace, relying on his instincts to guide him. He stopped again to listen. A few seconds passed, but to Fionn it felt like an eternity. 
this time there were no sounds. Hope was all he had to go on. Fionn's tracking ability was good and something inside was telling him to hurry. His large frame forged ahead. Protruding tree roots and fallen branches created tripping hazards. He stumbled a few times but was driven on by his determination to find Alex. At last Fionn came to a clearing. He glanced around at his surroundings, relieved to learn that he knew exactly where he was. Then Fermlin Abbey loomed up to his left. He recognised the outline of the distinctive building with its majestic square-shaped turret protruding skywards. He followed the gravel pathway which led up the steep hill directly towards the Benedictine's abbey grounds. Fionn saw some people up ahead, two or three maybe, huddled together but almost completely obscured in the shadow cast by the tall, stone-built abbey walls. They were dressed in long black robes, offering an almost perfect camouflage. This would have seemed unusual at any other time in Dunfermline Glen. However, this weekend the Glen had been the venue for the Bruce Festival, a popular medieval enactment event. But it was nearly 5am. Why were they here? What were they doing? Let's go straight to the genius room. And um, Hannah says, how old is uh, Fiona Alex is 47. Uh, YA reader will want a YA age character. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so there's lots of visual description. Uh, more sound, smells, feels also needed. Vicky says, definitely has potential, but needs more work. Uh, sounds like my uh, my reports from school, actually. Um, Vagabond says, too many name repeats. Andy says, some good action going on. Losing Alex and the fog is a nice early hook, but the writing could be a tad clearer for the reader to see through. And Kate says, and I'm actually hung up on this, I'm a bit confused by this too, Kate says, more on the Fionn-Alex relationship would help us engage. So, um, how do I, how do I relate that to the blurb, actually? Lizzie, you're with us at the moment, aren't you? So maybe you could tell us, did you change the name of the protagonist or something? Because I'm a bit confused by Shay and the blurb and Fionn here, but maybe that's just me. What did you think, Jamie? Um, yeah, I was a bit confused by that as well. I, I actually, I'm assuming that the that this is a, a, a prologue. I think this is, I'm going to get guess it's ah, a, a dad. it could be. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, but it completely. It always re- that, that, like that. The first page of a book should orientate you, shouldn't it? It's like this mm. is where we are geographically. This is where we are in time. These are the characters, and this is sort of the everyday struggle that they find. And this is you know clue as to where, what's going to happen. So when it starts with something that isn't related to the blurb or the general feeling of the book, unless it really explicitly says, you know, prologue or 10 years earlier or something like that, it tends to like immediately like, where, where am I and, and, what, and what's going on? But that said, I thought the writing was really was good and smooth. Um, mm. I love the fact that it goes, there's no, not much missing about, straight into the action, which is always good. Yeah. Um, I was re- also confused. I thought Alex was a kid, and then he was like 47. And I was like, I know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm confused. Um, he's, a, he's a child at heart. Aren't we all? <laughs> I think that's just being male, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I was, I, I was just a bit sort of confused about where we were, what we were doing, the time that we were in. Uh, there was a dagger in his trousers, but then it seemed to be modern day. So. Well, I, I really enjoyed the the writing. I thought it was smooth. I thought it was good. Um, hmm. I really enjoyed the, the the commitment to go straight into the story. I just think it needs a bit of orientation. I was a bit I was a bit lost as to where I was. Um, but that said, really good. I loved finishing the first chapter on a, on a little cliffhanger like that is always a really good idea. Very good. Very good. You. Okay. Pre- press your vote button, to. Jamie. We need to, to see some numbers from you, please. Uh, meanwhile, we'll go to Dean and get your first reactions. Okay. I think Dean's just fighting. 
Dean. I'm back. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you again. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I think? just got a bit stuck on the voting page. Um, yeah. Yeah, very, very similar to Jamie. Um, I mean, I think the, the biggest issue um, which Jamie covered and was kind of um, repeated quite a bit in the, in the chat room was, was yeah, people confused about um, who's Fionn, where's Shay. Um, you know, if, if possible, you really want to start a book with the protagonist. You know, um, you can work all this backstory in later, but we really want to be starting with um, the main character. And, and again, as Jamie said, the, the main story or the actual story unfolding rather than something that that happened earlier like like a prologue um but um but same as jamie i mean other than that problem which could um be fairly easily sorted out i mean i assume by just moving where we start the book um the the writing i I thought was really enjoyable i mean i really enjoyed the um the piece you know i I got into it I, I, i thought it started um you know we were straight into the action there um it was it was really well written. I think it's a good start. Um, it's, you know, I, I would just start, you know advise uh, Lizzie to seriously think about where where she starts the book. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. But that, good. that that's, that's the only thing for, for me. That's the only thing because um, because I did really enjoy it. Good, um, excellent. Okay. And, uh, and also, I think another thing is. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, go on. I think if you're starting out as, as an unknown writer who's going to be approaching um, agents, publishers, I think coming starting with the, the beginning of what could be a series is, is a good way to go about it because that's going to Definitely. make your first submission a lot more attractive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, uh, what, do we, what do we think about the title? Um, guys, actually, it's, a, it's an all-male show today. Don't often have that. What do we think about the title? I think it's too, um, I think it's too, too, too long. Um, it's very long, isn't it? It's the the outputs the, the be- actually the better bit I think, and I, I was going to ask you about this, Peter, as a, as, a, as an agent. Like, does the does the fact that it's part of a series or the first book of a series is that an attractive thing or or, or an off yeah. putting thing? On the whole, it is. Actually. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, on the whole, it is especially YA because uh, what what it does is it offers uh, publishers an opportunity. You know, if it's a three, say trilogy, actually trilogy is quite a good number. Um, you used to get a few years ago, you used to get all kinds of crazy. You know, this is uh, the first part of an eighteen book series and that, that kind of stuff. It's a bit a bit scary, but a trilogy is good because it gives gives a publisher three shot three bites of the uh, the cherry basically. If it doesn't quite work first time round, they've got a bit of momentum. They can start to build up for the next two books. Um, so it is generally quite attractive, but I just want to get back to this title. Shay D, is that is that very down with the kids or something? Shay D, Demons Exist. That's a strange title, Shay D, Demons Exist. What does that mean? It seems, it seems a little bit hip-hop to me. doesn't really yes. seem like sort of Celtic, <laughs> you know. It, it didn't seem that, like, kind, of, kind of like, yeah, like a kind of bad yeah. grime artist, Shay D. <laughs> rather it's than like... Uh, it's just three, three Celtic, white middle-class uh, men. <laughs> 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 Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is what I imagine hip hop is. <laughs> Come on, I'm going to ask one of you to actually to, to rap to it. Come on, you we're not, can we're do it. We're not the demographic, are we? <laughs> <laughs> not really. Uh, we're not the demographic for YA, really. <laughs> I, I, I do like the demons um, exist bit. I think that's quite a bold, like yeah, that's quite a um, flag yeah. on the ground sort of. Uh, it is. It is. Definitely uh, is. Yeah. So Lizzie I, do, just, I like the, the whole Celtic thing, the myth Lizzie thing. I just think, I think said I'd on, play around that. 
this is just said on YouTube. Can we get the YouTube comment back, actually? Um, YouTube says, thanks a lot. Um, helps a lot. I didn't realise realize the confusion of the starting of the father's disappearance. I can work first chapter in later. Uh, we don't... I mean, I'm, one of my great um, strengths as, um, as, a, as a reader of manuscripts is I'm really stupid. And if I, can, if I can misread things or misunderstand things, I will, actually. So, and that's very... Authors often find that very helpful. And... Um, <laughs> I, I just I didn't understand the relationship. I didn't. Forty-seven year olds. Yeah, one or two other people were saying, you know, forty-seven year olds is old is a bit old for a, a YA protagonist, maybe. <laughs> so midlife crisis type stuff. You don't want to be straddled with that, do you? When you when you're a YA, um, I think that um, the way to do this probably, Lizzie, is through your protagonist's eyes, if you can. As, as, as a flashback, as a memory, as a recollection, as a fear, as something that, you know, that, that hits them hard. And then, then it's quite clear. But other, other than, you know, very often we, we, we will sort of establish ourselves, invest ourselves with the first character we meet, which is kind of quite natural, actually, it happens in the natural world. It's called imprinting. And um, clearly we're not supposed to invest in, in the 47-year-old show possibly see it through the protagonist's eyes i don't know it's just a suggestion um several people have said the pace is really good and it is good but i need to get more invested in this and i think the fact that you're not actually talking about the protagonist but you're talking about someone who's related to the protagonist is is subconsciously showing through for me that i'm not actually getting into it to the extent i need to get into it and I'm not identifying with anyone, not really investing that much. And would I turn the page after, you know, the first few hundred words? Probably not at this stage, because I don't care enough. One way you can do that is by getting me into, into a situation where, that I just recognize. You know, it might be something dangerous, something embarrassing, something, I don't know, but some kind of situation that just clicks on in, in my head and goes, yeah, oh, I can identify with that. I've been there before. I know that. There, there's another possibility for you. Uh, let's go and look at the final score. You, got, you pushed up to 50. Very commendable. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. Uh, tell us how you're feeling now, Lizzie. How's the pulse? Has it, uh, it subsided a bit? I hope so. Uh, meanwhile, let's move on to our next submission. Here we go. Submission number two of 2022. All the twos, numerologically, it's very good. And hopefully it's very good for you, Sam. QR code there uh, to take you to Sam's corner of the internet. So scan that, go there. It's speculative fiction, I think. Hello, Sam. <laughs> are you are you nervous by any chance? You're excited and nervous. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what people think too. Speculative fiction. What does that mean? Could someone explain that to me? Speculative fiction. Does it mean it might be fiction, but we're not sure? I don't know, it's called Down Country, and this is Sam's blurb. How do you lose an island? Lost and forgotten somewhere off the coast of Cornwall, halfway between Boscastle, <gasps> Museum of Witchcraft, and the Celtic Deep, Ithin has lain quiet for years, until this, the story of its rediscovery. You start on the mainland and wade out to a waiting boat, hauled aboard and shivering. You make your way to Ithan and are left ankle deep on the shore. An unseen hand at your back and a voice guiding you onwards deeper into the story. They have your best interests at heart, after all. I wonder. Sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it? 
Let me tell you about Sam. I, I live above the moor and work in a library by the beach. Sounds wonderful, actually. I'm, I'm determined to find out where that is. I trained as a costume designer and moved from that to illustration and art, all working with stories and words with narratives. It's taken me a long time to uh, realise I wanted to write some of my own. I think perhaps a lifetime love of reading had left me wary of trying my hand at something I held so dear. I completely understand that and I think that's that's rather, rather lovely actually. Yeah. Um, okay, so in order to uh, help you get your toe into this particular ocean, we've got a fabulous reading from Bev. Down Country by Sam Horton, read by Bev. How do you lose an island? Once upon a time there was a man and a woman who did not have a child of their own. They lived on a small spit of land that jutted out from the northernmost point of the county of Cornwall, a wide expanse of moor covered in granite and gorse and stories. Walking by the sea one day, hand in hand, surf-shod and striding, they heard a mewling from the rocks that were lapped by the sea on the beach. Sitting in a rock pool swaddled in seaweed, and crying his little eyes out was a baby giant. They knew he was a giant, because his skin was dark like slate, and streaked with quartz lines, and his hands beat cracks in the rocks at his sides in anguish. Knowing how these things are done, having heard the stories, sung the songs, the couple took the boy home and raised him as their own, naming him Gao on the way. He grew to be a fine young man, thirty feet tall and climbing as he reached his seventeenth year. But the other giants of the county made fun of him for not having giant parents, being raised by such little people, and living in the funny lumpen barn they built by their funny little house. They spent their time taunting him and throwing rocks. This is why Athin has such rocky tours today until he ran home crying to his parents. One day, having had enough of all of this, the little giant mustered all of his energy, and tying the sand into knotted skeins of rope, lashed them about their little peninsula and began to pull. This little spit of land, this Athin, broke free from Cornwall. Pulled by the little giant, it went further and further into the sea, until, halfway between Boscastle and the Celtic Deep, the little giant stopped, exhausted, and sank down into the waves' resting weary arms. After a few moments, he pulled his aching body up, up, onto the moors, now sea-swept and swirling with gulls, happily ravaging the plover nests and scarab beetles bought as an unexpected bounty to a previously barren patch of sea. And peeling back the turf and scrag, the giant stepped inside to sleep, pulling the landscape up around his ears to block out the noise and wind. He's still there now, the shape of his sleep forming the ridges and furrows of Gow Tor, and hawthorn roots swaddle him, and the sea crashing below fills his dreams. Or, many millions of years ago, the earth heaved itself in heat and crunching agony, and pushed together the shoulder blades of land at the bottom of the ocean. Molten and steaming, a jagged spear of metamorphic rock forced its way through stormy, brine-boiled seas and cooled in the heat of the morning sun. This tangled mass of slate and granite weathered the waves that beat its shores, 
that ground rocks to sand in the safety of its inlets and coves, that churned others to spiked sentinels and reefs at the base of its cliffs, and hollowed and winnowed into caves that ran through it like half-abandoned arteries of salted, tear-stained blood. Grass began to creep across the back of this new land, kept in check by a governess of wind, and along its sheltered valleys the rocking cycle of decay and growth increased the soil, covered bare rocks with shaggy green life. Hawthorn, nursemaid of the forest, dropped unwittingly by passing birds, by grew into groves and fed the earth, built the loam and mulched the soil, joined by oak and elder and elm, blown on the wind, washed to shore in wayward currents, took root in the soil. They grew and expanded and shaded the dells and hollowways, watered by little streams that had sprung up when nobody was looking from the modest peaks of moor, and an island was born. Or there had always been an island, it was never not a fact. Whether anybody knew about it or not changed little about that. It was there, unmapped, unmoved, unmanned. All right, so let's check out the genius room as we we always have to. Um, And the genius room is always right and never wrong. So that's worth remembering, actually, when you look at what their comments are. Going to go to Vagabond, who actually was our reader, uh, confusingly uh, called Bev occasionally. Um, I really enjoyed reading this, um, says Vagabond, but I'm surprised at how much is already in the blurb. Emily loves the visuals and poetic movement of this. Eva says smooth, sonorous writing. Michelle, Michelle Houlihan says great voice. Of course, Michelle was our winner last month. Yanis uh, says nice writing. Johnny Compton prose, even though it's rather a lot of the dreaded telling. Um, Kate says reads as a fable, lyrical and Vicky. This is beautiful writing, but it's not a subject matter that they would have me reading on. Need to move into the main story sooner to keep me. Alright, so we need a lot of background from you on this, Dean. Um, for a start, have you ever heard of this, this legend at all? Or is it, do you think, completely made up? I think it's completely made up. I've, I've not heard of it before, but then I'm not an expert on, um, uh, you know, the sort of local legends. Um, but I, can, I can offer something on the title, though, because I think some people were a bit confused about uh, the title. I didn't really get it. Um, I think Down Country is a title that probably works if you're Cornish or you live down in Cornwall because it's okay. a bit of a joke or a bit of an in-joke. I, I think I think that's what they've gone for, or what Sam's gone for, because around here, if we talk about the rest of the country, as in north of De- uh, north of Cornwall, we, we we say up country. Yeah. So if, if you've gone if you've gone anywhere up north, you've gone up country. I get so it. I think it's kind of a, a play on that that Cornwall is I get down it. country. Um, yeah. So I think, but, I think and there's actually nothing. There's nothing that. further down country than from we are Cornwall, down country. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think yeah. I think that's kind of the injo there. And again, if you were if you lived here, you'd kind of get that immediately. But then if you didn't live in Cornwall, then you'd, probably, you'd never presumably never heard of that. Um, because I hadn't before we moved down here. Um, but going into the actual work itself, um, I think we've got kind of a similar problem to what we had with Lizzie, um, in that the writing, again, is really nice. Um, you know, Sam can obviously write. Um, mm. It's a really enjoyable piece, but I think we were getting way, way too bogged down with backstory there. Um, and, um, you know, it was kind of 
having a story told to us rather than us actually getting into some okay. media action. Um, you, need, you need to get into a bit of um, story action sooner. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was. Again, it was lovely. Um, and again, Sam could obviously write, but I, I was, was kind of losing me a little bit there. I really mm. wanted to get into sort of the yeah because um, the, in the blurb was really was intriguing. It, yes, um, it is intriguing. Yeah, the idea of finding this this lost island, I really like that. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm just I'm keen to actually get into that into the story rather than mm. just this kind of. Um, yeah, I, I think somebody said it was like a fable or. You know, yeah. um, it, was, it was again like quite quite lyrical, quite nice writing. But um, to me, I, I just I needed to get there a bit quicker. Okay, fair enough. Let's look at the numbers you've given. Uh, title you've given sixty blurb, sixty craft, six ten bang, sixty sixty across the board. I wonder what Jamie did. What do you think, Jamie? Um, I really liked that. Um, mm. I didn't get the title at all, so um, I. Yeah, it didn't mean anything. It's an in-joke, in isn't it, maybe. really? It's yeah, an well, in-joke. You're not going to yeah. help you sell books if no. you're not in Cornwall. So I'd, I'd, look at, yeah. I'd look at that. I love the blurb. I love the fact the blurb was in a second person. Really, really mm. makes it stand out immediately because mm. that's, that's, um, you don't very often see that and it's and it just brings you in because it obviously it's it's addressing the, the whole story from your point of view, which I think is clever. Um, like, like Dean, I love the idea of the missing island and I really like the whole sort of like mythical, allegorical feel of it. Um, it's he's got and actually interestingly enough I think he's got a really really distinct voice which is the, mm. the biggest thing that writers want to have isn't it it's the thing mm. we're, all, we're all searching for is finding our voice and I think Sam's probably on the way to finding his which is um, amazing it's got this lovely lyrical style to it something uh, I don't use this lightly actually but it's got something of the Neil Gaiman about it, it feels right. sort of mythical and tapping into into lore um, it's a massive Sam, Sam, um, that, you've just heard what what Jamie said. Jamie published a claim novelist uh, better than Neil Gaiman. He said something like that. I think something like that vaguely. Use use that. Use it as an endorsement. But we'll go with that. <laughs> put it on the um, put it on the cover. Remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently. So we will. Um, I really like I really like the different viewpoints of the same thing. It's got, it's got the life of pie thing about it, hasn't it? But I what mm. I really think it needed to do is cut that second bit down. I think the interesting bit is the first bit and the end bit because then that gives you the question and the intrigue to carry on but the second bit is simply this is actually what happened this is the natural way of doing things so I just cut that right down to a smaller bit um, but overall it really really intrigued me I thought it was I thought it's, it's really well written yeah I love the idea um, yeah interesting I agree. I agree. I thought it was actually really um, charming. Actually, I I, I I wrote down the word that you use as well, lyrical, charming, and lyrical. I could listen to that all day. I love the way that Bev. I mean, all our narrators are fabulous, but I just thought the the narration really suited the material. Um, and I wrote the same thing as you said. Actually, Jamie, great voice and great voice emerging. The only thing that, as you'll see from my my numbers, let's look at the numbers. Actually, the only thing that I don't know really at the moment, actually, Sam, this could be my failing as much as yours. I don't know how to make money out of this. That's the thing. I don't really know where it fits. Um, now, you know, Life of Pi, yeah, yeah, stuff like that could be interesting, but I don't know where it's going. I don't, you know, speculative fiction is such a, it's a diaphanous thing, isn't it? You know, I mean, who, who do I pick the phone up and, 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 and speak to about it? So I'm, I'm marking you low on commercial bang at the moment. But in other respects, I think, you know, you're there. I don't like the title either. Um, but the blurb is nicely done. The craft, I'm, I'm giving you a high mark for me. 
which is 80. So you actually, across the board now, um, you've got a 63, which is pretty good, pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I I could particularly... It's, this is sort of audiobook stuff. I would listen to this very much on audiobook, actually. I loved it. It's great. Thank you very much, Sam. Let's go straight on to our next submission. <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully that was uh, useful to you, Sam. Um, you, you're joining us live as our one or two other authors at the moment. So, yeah, if you want to ask any questions, just bung them in the, um, in the good old YouTube chat and we will respond instantly, actually. Um, okay, submission number three is a crime thriller. Here we are, back down to earth again. From Arthur. QR code there, too. It's called Deadly Election. Deadly Election. About time we had one of those, isn't it? This is Arthur's blurb. Murder, theft, violence. Senator Consuelo and his gangsters will stop on nothing and become more desperate as they near election day. X, now I think this is Marine. <laughs> what otherwise I don't understand it. I think it's ex-Marine. I'm gonna say ex-Marine Paul McCann. McCain is on a mission to stop an evil and corrupt politician from ruling the Philippines. I thought that had already happened. Oh, straight off YouTube. Um, will he succeed? Or will the vicious crook deal with him? Even if he survives the election, will he survive? What? Even if he survives the election, will he survive? It's not your everyday thriller. Find out for yourself. And there's a QR code there, which I suspect very strongly takes you straight through to the book. Let me tell everyone about you. Arthur. I've got a slightly... A dangerous relationship with the microphone today. Everything's been changed around over the uh, Christmas break. So I'm not quite sure where to put my hands, actually. Um, Arthur writes thrillers, suspense and intrigue novels, mainly set in Southeast Asia. He also writes a blog uh, where he comments on Asian politics and social matters and his own work. Arthur is a former British lawyer who worked in the UK, Hong Kong and the Philippines, specialising in visas and immigration. Uh, a great source of inspiration for his stories. His time as a warden for the British Embassy in Manila, I wonder what that is, a warden, um, also provided insight for his writing. In between writing and blogging, Arthur is studying for an MA in creative writing, good, and plans further study after that. In his spare time, he enjoys music, he's a keyboard player, cooking. Arthur's married to five children. He and his wife, Linny, divide their time between the UK and Asia. And for the second time today, an extremely welcome return for a fabulous reading by Emily. Deadly Election by Arthur, read by Emily. Prologue. As Virgil entered the gloomy cave, the crate, soaking wet from the downpour outside, slipped from his grasp. He stumbled to his knees. A sharp crack resonated around the cave as Kodama pulled the trigger. Shooting pains in Virgil's left side sapped his remaining energy as the bullet entered his body. His emaciated old body crumpled onto the dusty stones. There was an ominous crack as his skull fractured. A trail of blood seeped from under him. The close-range shot shattered his kidney and punctured his lung. The young Japanese officer pointed his still-smoking Nambu pistol at one of the younger men cowering in the corner. You! Pick it up! The lad scrambled forward to take Virgil's place, trying to stay alive for at least a few more minutes. Breath came in painful gasps for Virgil but he could still see what was happening around him. The screams of his youngest daughter, Raquel, filled the air. Other villagers cowered in the nooks and recesses of the cavern. 
no, please, I beg you, no, no, hurt me, please. Her broken sobs fractured her feeble English. She was less than ten feet from him, but there was nothing he could do for her. She lay on the ground in a state of near undress, with firm hands holding her struggling body. After a short while, the four men had finished with her. She lay curled up. She raised her head to see the lifeless body of her father and sobbed louder. I sorry, father, I so sorry, she wailed as the sergeant loomed over her. Hito inserted his sword expertly between her shoulder blades, brought her suffering to an end. Lieutenant Kodama surveyed the bloody scene. Quickly, get the rest inside, you know what to do. Search the forest, don't let these animals get away. His soldiers finished off the remaining villagers and carried the limp remains inside, piling them up like animal carcasses next to the stacked wooden cases. A few men broke off and ran to the forest to make sure none had escaped. The village was now empty. Chickens and goats wandered aimlessly. Earlier in the day the villagers prepared a meal for the soldiers. It was still laid out on the tables in the village square. The starving men did not waste the roasted meat. They hadn't eaten well for a week. Chapter 1 General MacArthur kept his promise. He returned to the Philippines late in 1944 with nearly 200,000 American troops. Relentlessly they scoured the countryside, freeing the villages and hunting down the remaining Japanese soldiers. Only a few of the weary Japanese surrendered. Most preferred to die in hopeless battle. The disgraced Japanese general, Yamashita, was in flight. Deserted by their own government and senior officers, remnants of his army were hiding gold and stolen treasures, looted from the conquered lands all over Southeast Asia, wherever they could. They dug holes in the ground, stuffed the basements of deserted houses, or even secreting their hordes in secluded caves in the mountains. The American rescue came too late for Virgil and his village. They were forced to help the fleeing Japanese troops and murdered for their trouble. Within days of the massacre, the liberating Yanks paraded through the streets of the historic Spanish-style town of Vigan, a hundred miles north, to the cheers of the war-weary locals. More than a week earlier, the American liberators had landed, but had not yet reached the provinces. The Japanese conscripts busied themselves blocking up the cave entrance to hide the gold and cover up their murders, and then they were on their way. Any evidence they were ever there was now hidden, hopefully forever. Rested after a good meal and a few hours of sleep, the ragged group made slow progress through the lush tropical jungles of the northern Philippines. Kodama spoke with his sergeant. Right, so I'm just um, digesting the genius room's comment. Um, is there a more intimate, engaged, or original way to tell this story? Says Vagabond. Uh, worth having a rethink. Needs to zoom into the action, says Yana. Uh, Johnny's bobbing around a lot and now become a bit of a history lesson. Yeah, he did actually, didn't it? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, he did. The immediacy of the start has been lost. Uh, we need to engage with a specific character to get hooked, says Kate. Emily, our narrator, uh, said, I felt this was a bit familiar and agree with Andy, who said, uh, read the POV thing, uh, point of view thing, being killed before chapter one. Yeah. Um, Hannah says, not pulling me in, I suggest ditching the prologue. Oh, prologue, please, don't get me started on that. What do you think, Jamie? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, um, it's, it feels a bit sort of workmanlike to me. It sort of does a job, but I feel like I've read this before. And that, when you've got a blurb that says it's not your everyday thriller, 
and then what I'm presented with is something that oh. I feel like I've read before. I want your know, everyday thriller, yes, right. Okay. It is, yeah, that's quite a big claim, and and I don't see anything in that first in that first chapter at all to, to convince oh. to convince me oh. otherwise. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's like the writing's okay, but there's just a bit of work. It kind of does a job. Um, really not sure about chapter one at all. I'm not sure. There's so there's way too much telling exposition in there. Like oh. it's just that's just somebody saying I know I know a lot of stuff about this. Here you go. You have it all. Um, and I, and I, I'm not really sure by the end of it whose story I'm being told. Like I don't. We read what however many words it is, and I'm not sure whose story I'm in at all. Which would probably stop me reading it. I think at this point, yeah. I, I, I don't feel any emotional engagement with it at all. No, um, I, I was thinking. I have to be honest, and I was thinking, what what is my emotional engagement? And actually, we kind of got we got a, a murder, um, and I, I'm guessing an implied rape as well. Um, in the in the prologue, whatever it is, and I'm just feeling kind of I don't like that much. It's not really engaging me. I don't want to read on. And then, as uh, somebody said in the, in the genius room just now, we've got we've got a history lesson after that. Nothing to hold my attention there. And what I'm thinking about is uh, an author. I'm sure is dead now, um, but was very very big back in the day. And actually, Arthur, you should you you know you got some very big um, footsteps to follow here. Market yourself as the next James Clavell. He he wrote about this kind of thing. He as you oh, you must have read all his books. I bet you have. Um, he um, wrote about that area of the world. He did incredibly well. You know, for people who were not the slightest bit interested in that, he still got them really interested. Not naturally interested. He, he could he could he could write pulse quickening fiction. And I think you know that's how I would want to market myself. If you're if you're going to write about this kind of thing in this sort of area about these sorts of issues, the next James Clavell. Um, but at the moment, I'm 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 just left with a vague feeling of distaste for the the prologue. But what maybe that's just me. What did you think, Dean? Uh, no, yeah, I'm in a similar place as well. Um, I mean, I, I thought with the blurb and the title um, from the get-go, a little bit generic. I'm afraid. Um, I mean, even down to the um, the protagonist's name, Paul Ma Paul McCain. I think somebody yeah. actually said in the. There's a little bit John McLean. Um, I think somebody yeah. else picked that up. Die Hard, isn't um, it? Yeah, a bit Die Hard. Yeah, the yeah. ultimate Christmas um, movie. I'm told. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good solid thriller, but I, I just feel like, um, again, as Jamie said, you know, we were kind of promised something different. I don't really think it was anything different. Um, and I think if you're if, if you're an unknown and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get um, an Asian or a publisher on board, you really need to try and come up with something that is new that's just going to make them sort of. Well, what's what am I getting here? Yeah, um, you know, to, to make them take notice of it. Um, because I think otherwise, you know, if you just if you if you write a, a pretty generic thriller, um, it's probably not not going to get noticed or, or probably no, it's not. I'm not sure whether Arthur's um, trying to do that. I think my feeling at the moment, I do correct me if I'm wrong, actually, Arthur. If you're if you're in the um, in the uh, YouTube chat, my feeling is actually he's probably developing his own um, audience directly. I suspect. Um, and that's fine, actually, because a lot of genre writers have done that very successfully. And, you know, I mean, quite often they find they can sell more books uh, like that directly to, to their readership than they can actually through, through a publisher quite often. That's one of the unfortunate truths of my business. I shouldn't be saying that, but it's true. So you, you, I don't know um, if, what your aspirations are for that, actually, Arthur, but maybe you, you just want to keep on selling books directly to your readership. And good luck if that, if that works. 
But I, I would need something, you know, as Dean says, really bit, a bit bigger to take it out. Let's look at the numbers on this. 46 so far. That can go up or down, of course, as the genii in the genius room, which is where geniuses live, um, decide what to do. At the moment, they are... I'll tell you what, let's look at the scorecards so far. You can see how it all stacks up. And it looks like uh, Sam actually is on the lead, yeah, or down country. Uh, that we all, we all know what that means now. <laughs> if we if if Dean wasn't on the show today, we wouldn't have known. <laughs> um, and yeah, everyone seems to agree that for title blurb and craft, particularly craft, actually, um, Sam is ahead of the pack. But that could change with the next submission. Number four, Dog World. One word. Dog World. Hello, David. Very, very happy to have you here, David. You are the author of Dog World. Isn't that great? I, I love it when our authors join us. Because, you know, apart from anything else, I mean, you can review us, you can ask us questions, and you can say, I don't understand what you mean. Explain yourselves. And, and we will. We will, absolutely. It's SF comedy thriller. And this is... This is David's blurb. It's very simple. Dogs talk. Dogs run cafes. Dogs break the law. Hound is one of a kind, England's first enhanced canine sleuth. His simple find the missing bitch friend. <laughs> Can I say that again, please? His simple find the missing bitch friend <laughs> case. <laughs> and that's not even rude, is it? In the context. Um, sets him on the trial of a much bigger mystery. Where did the enhancement virus come from? In the first place, I think it came from Wuhan. But I might, I might be wrong there. Me, I tell everybody, everybody about you, David. Um, I'm self-employed, background in science and teaching, plus quite a variety of other jobs, from agricultural labourer, via bar manager to director of an aromatics company. How terribly fragrant of you! Um, I've written a number of non-fiction books on magic and es esotericism. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I've also written and self-published two other novels, both dystopian, cli-fi SF, cli-fi SF. Uh, with those, I got this dystopian stuff out of my system. <laughs> Good. Uh, I decided to write something lighter, a story about talking dogs. I think Dog World is a better novel than the other two, and I'm hoping to get it out to more people. I have a sequel. Part written too, he says. Dangle, dangle. Great. All right. Well, I tell you what, we're going to get a uh, first-class reading here. No puns intended from Jeff. Dog World by David. Read by Jeff. Chapter One. The terrier was shouting. The other cafe customers were pretending to ignore him, the their ears were rotating like radar dishes. I sighed. It's always a terrier, isn't it? Then he stopped shouting. Silence reigned. Everyone was ostentatiously minding their own business. I had barely enough time to hope that no one was going to start barking when he barked. I drew a deep breath and sized him up for a vigorous performance of my security role. He was yapping the lap size, a fifth of my weight, and he looked like a Jack Russell so he'd be somewhere between rather courageous and warringly delusional about his own powers. It was all a bit annoying. I'd much rather have been under the counter, topping up my sleep hours with a canine power nap. I gazed around. Formica top tables, laminated poster board with a fry-up in its 
glorious hyperreal colours. The eggs with a grease shimmer of a blaze of tropical yellow. The sausages, a shade of red that only ever existed in cinematic gore. In my three months here, I've come to love this place. That picture is the nearest thing I do to religion. It grounds me what matters to a dog, food and loyalty. I turned to my human employer. How many tables have we got, Mario? He stopped his stack of plates and gave me a blank stare. Nine? Any species-based segregation? Mario resumed stacking. No, every table is equipped with a lower section which includes a bubble holder, as well as the dedicated canine area near the window. His voice rang out with modest proprietal pride. And what would you say is our typical number of covers on a weekday? Oh, uh, call it 100. Of whom, how many would you estimate are dogs? Uh, maybe 95. And humans? Uh, the rest. And cats? Ha! <laughs> None! He was smiling, rather smirking. He knew where this was leading. We'd caught the attention of the mouthy terrier, who turned round to face me. I looked straight at him and said, This is dog world, my friend. Enjoy! His face flickered. That look in his eyes, that touch of lost and baffled, reminded me of my own infection with the enhancement virus, and my own awakening to human language and troubles. My sympathy went out to him, even though he was being a dick. But at least he was no longer barking. You've got bitch troubles, I said, feeding back to him what he'd been making perfectly obvious. The gush of a moment was surging through his diminutive person, resolved in a furniture that bordered on a yelp. His lip trembled. His features were transferred by a bustle of feelings, each of which wanted to go at running his facial expression. I leaned towards him. Ah, don't sweat it, I said. Everybody gets bitch trouble. Even bitches get bitch trouble. I was reaching out for any old guff that might help calm him down, and it seemed to be working. He took a deep breath and gave me a look which said, I am going to pour out my heart to you. Have a mop and a bucket ready. The lunchtime rush had finished. Paused on sill, I gazed out of the window, misted with greasy ghosts of 10,000 departed sausages. The terrier, name a jacket, meandered unsteadily around the corner. He had, if not a fatal, then certainly a very troublesome attraction to skinny females. His recent squeeze, in whose honour all the shouting had been, was a slender Dalmatian, reportedly a dizzy kind of bitch who lived for thrills. She'd got E.E. plague, escaped from human bondage and gone on a serial sex bend of which one was to stop was my unfortunate client. Client, yes, I had a client. I turned the word over in my head, relishing it, letting my thoughts balloon into promise of professionalism and its rewards. Status in the world of e-dogs, financial independence, the glamorous and exciting lifestyle of a canine sleuth. All right, so... <laughs> Uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, comments in the uh, genius room, and if you uh, if you if you can't take it all in now, then uh, David just uh, watch the recording freeze frame and read everything actually, because that really is one of the great joys of pop ups. You get instant reactions from keen people, supportive people actually, but they'll they'll be honest with you as well. Um, not much going on, says Eva. Yet I keep on listening willingly. It's addictive. Oh, that's good. Uh, no engagement with this, says Johnny. Uh, might just all be humans, says Vagabond, just using words like bitch to make it doggy. Yes, but there is, there's a few good lines in there. I've written down, you've got bitch troubles. <laughs> I would probably start the blurb with that, actually. Um, Galadriel, there's some nice phrasing. I'm waiting for something to move on from the cafe description. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. Um, 
KT, straight in from YouTube. Natural writer, like a common detective, canine, Roman Chandler. It would be nice if he was, definitely. Um, and Johnny says, spacing. Vicky says, well done to Jeff for the reading with such challenging formatting. We always show the formatting exactly as it is. We don't mess around with it. And yeah, your formatting is, uh, is working against you, I think, there, David. What did you think, Dean? Did it tickle you fancy? Um, I really enjoyed the the, um, the blurb. I was I was smiling along. You know, I, I, mm. I found the blurb. Um, I, I was quite excited by it. Um, and the, the actual piece itself. I mean, it, it was there was like as you say, there's some nice uh, nice little jokes, nice little phrasing in there. Um, it was keeping me entertained. Um, I I wonder whether it's a bit of is it a one joke book? That's, you know, that's is, my is, thought. Is, is the, yeah, you know, it's, it's the joke that they're dogs. Is that going to sustain a whole novel i don't know i mean we don't know because it might it might um yeah the, the story really needed to kick in at this point we was kind of i think i'd gotten as far as i could with sort of being amused by the fact that they're dogs um and the story really needed to sort of step up a gear at that point um but saying that you know where we've got to so far i did enjoy it and I, it, it was keeping me entertained um it was keeping me engaged so far but i, I just wonder how long that would last mm. going forward yeah 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 that's my great concern too actually and um i think you've just got to zero out the 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 conceit the high concept and see if the underlying story is going to work or not oh did it work for you jamie um yeah no <laughs> i uh I, I've, I've written down completely putty title and blurb and that's a good thing and i really really <laughs> from that point i really wanted to like it i was like that's a great title that's a great concept i'm gonna really enjoy this but sort of, I just didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Like it got yeah. to the end of the piece, and I was just like, I've got no idea what's happening at all. And yeah. it, 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 yeah. it didn't feel like dogs. It felt like people who were told, and we were told they were dogs. They didn't feel. It's like the joke wasn't three D. If that if that makes sense, it was. Yeah. It was. Uh, and but that said, um, I thought it had quite a nice humorous tone. Um, if he, I think he's aiming for sort of the, like the Douglas Adams sort of sort of, uh, yeah. sort of feel, isn't he? And yeah. and, and, and I kind of like that. I could see how it be, could be fun to read. I think it definitely needs a trim. Like I cut cut down that the cafe bit hugely. I think we need to get straight into the searching for the missing bitch because that's that's the, that's the funny bit, really. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's the con concept is brilliant. I think you, you, you could it's the sort of thing that somebody could say that to you and go, "Oh, right, cool, okay, let's 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 hear more." And then it just didn't feel like it, didn't it? Which is um bit disappointing because i think there's a good something good at yeah the i think i think we all feel that actually to some extent that um the concept is is really good and we we do want to get into it so it could be really commercial i think um so what's not what's not working here guys let's go back to the genius and they'll tell us what's not actually working yana agrees with you johnny uh no over bum sniffing well that comes later of course doesn't it i think i mean i think that's I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud now, but you know, it's got it's got to work as a compelling story, you know, irrespective of the of the uh, speciesness of the of the protagonists. And so, if if the story works, and then occasionally you get delightful lines like "You've got bitch," oh, I got bitch troubles, or a bit of bum sniffing goes on. That's just icing on the cake, and that's delightful. But it, the story is still working in any case. Um, Bitch Troubles might be a title, says Emily. Um, Vagabond, oh, Vagabond says that too, actually. Michelle says, great reading, it was as well. Um, can we give any any more 
useful advice here. You said you said Douglas Adams. I've written down Terry Pratchett. Um, what else? What else can we say here? There's, there's something that we can say that's going to just crystallise it in David's mind. Come on, guys, let's put our thinking caps on. Well, what can we? What can we tell him? I think if it's going to go with dog world, then it needs to be very clearly dogs. You need to. It needs to get some right away to start with. Just have something that you just. It's a real nice little comedy turn, which is very dog related. So you just you just orientate it straight away. You are. I am in a world where dogs can do stuff that, yeah, that yeah. humans do, and, and you normal. know where you are. Mm. It's not. Yeah, and it, and, mm. and, it, and that's got. You've got to almost have that in the first paragraph. So you sort of open it up and go, "Ah, right, cool. <laughs> dogs talk. Brilliant." Yeah, and then yeah. go straight into. The, and that's De- what you need. I think. Yeah. And then go straight yeah. into the plot. Yeah, um, and then yeah. like you say, have a, have a dynamic plot that moves you forward. But just as a matter of fact, we live in a world where dogs can talk and. Here's, here's yeah. how you know. Straight yeah. on with the plot. I yeah, think. yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with that. That's very good advice, James. Thank you. Um, Galadriel says, title needs to show its sci-fi more precisely. Andy, I think getting into story littered with a few dog gags would have been better rather than being so full on straight away. Let's see how the numbers look for you, David. 62, not bad. Not bad, actually. And uh, Jamie loves the title. Dean does too. I'm not, not too... Uh, Bad on the title. Genius more or less the same as me. Um, Dean loves the blurb. Tchaikovsky, Dogs of War. There's no real world. But yes, that's right, Jane Doe. Whoever you happen to be, Jane Doe. Uh, it, yes, uh, it does, doesn't it? And the problem with that is a farce or parody is not going to, to sustain it for 80,000 words. That is the problem. Concept outweighs the execution, maybe it says zero or from YouTube. That is true at the moment as well. Yeah. But remember, guys, high concept sells. So, um, you know, I think you're in onto something good there, but you, there's a bit more structural work to be done. We have just one more submission. Could go on all night, guys, but I don't know. We shouldn't. <laughs> we've got homes to go to and dogs to feed this is the last mission there it's from chris chris dewhurst it's a memoir and it's called imago imago i think that's a word we used a, a few weeks ago isn't it i think it is on pop-ups and i i did ask for a definition at the time i think ginger came back and said it was something like a chrysalis i think from memory not sure this is chris's blurb climbing the improbable and ballooning the over everest are compelling tales colorful gripping humorous and occasionally tragic however restricting this memoir to anecdotes of daring do i like that little swordplay in daring do by deleting the politics drugs and money although saving me from prosecution would hollow out the story murder and mayhem are way more interesting than a trashed wicker basket huh? broken bones and an Annapurna avalanche hmm need to digest that i'm not sure i agree with that Annapurna avalanche is pretty pretty damn cool although there's plenty of that stuff too to keep you gripped uh, and i almost forgot it's a love story that will break your heart it's got everything it's got everything let me tell you about uh david no i've told you about david i'm gonna tell you about david again i'm gonna hog this whole show david um i'm gonna tell about chris uh over the past 60 years, I have earned an income from picking fruit, cleaning toilets, extracting insulin from dead pigs. <laughs> That's kind of gross, isn't it? 
Uh, <laughs> teaching chemistry, educating teenagers on how to avoid the criminal justice system. Hmm. Mountain climbing, whitewater rafting, flying aeroplanes, airships and balloons. Airships. That's cool. Uh, I've been a test pilot, a commercial flight instructor, examiner of airmen for the CAA. That's the Civil Aviation Authority here in the UK. I've also been an expert witness testifying in both the UK civil and criminal courts. And a smuggler. <laughs> what, you said it. I didn't. Don't sue me. <laughs> uh, an occupation not recommended for the faint-hearted. I can believe. Uh, I've been awarded the UK Royal Aero Club Salomon Trophy, the RAAC's gold medal, the FAI's Diplôme Montgolfier. I think that's for ballooning, I'm guessing. And the Order of Australia OAM for my contribution to aviation. Wow. High flyer, literally. Education and adventure tourism. And more recently, a two week writing residency. That's nice. At Varuna near Sydney for the best unpublished manuscript. Wow. You are a man of many parts. Only one person to do the reading, I think. It's Robert. Imago by Chris, read by Robert. Imago, an unconscious, idealised mental image of someone, especially a parent, which influences a person's behaviour. Preface. Rock climbing was once the essence of my being. Every cliff an opportunity every wall a challenge, my neurons hardwired to the vertical. From the age of 14, mountaineering consumed my life with a passion that could spin a galaxy. For a decade, nothing else mattered but a foothold, a rope and a climbing partner. I dreamed of climbing the Caroline face on Mount Cook, the most extreme ice route on the planet. 6,000 feet of tottering ice walls stacked one on top of another and prone to avalanche. First climbed by Pete Goff and John Glasgow in 1970, with long hair and tie-dyed headbands, the New Zealand press called them hippie heroes. Goff later became Professor Goff and a good friend, heading up the physics department at Christchurch University. In the NZ press, hippie hero dons a suit. And of climbing the north face of the Eiger? colloquially called the Killer Mountain, made infamous by Heinrich Harrer, who, along with three companions in 1938, managed a desperate first ascent. Afterwards, photographed reluctantly alongside Adolf Hitler, Harrer wrote The White Spider, the book I borrowed from the Melbourne State Library that started me climbing. Although Harrer is best known for the seven years in Tibet, the story of him escaping a POW camp in India crossing the Himalayas on foot and helping educate the Dalai Lama as a young child, by remarkable chance, on Christmas Day in 1973, he picked me up near Munich, hitchhiking across Germany on my way to London. I had a rope slung across the top of my pack, providing the perfect introduction. A week later, I was in England, climbing Cenotaph Corner on Dinas Kromlech, the UK's most famous rock climb. Joe Brown, considered by many the father of modern-day extreme rock climbing, made the first ascent in 1952. Reputedly, Brown stole a rope from a roadside worksite and started rock climbing, making an impact on the gentleman's sport, way beyond his small stature and modest ego. With three companions in 1955, he made the first ascent of Kang Chen Junga, the third highest mountain in the world, 
more difficult than Everest, in alpine style, without oxygen, without Sherpa assistance and without fanfare. These were my heroes. In 1973, I climbed the Salaf on El Capitan, a sheer 3,000-foot wall in Yosemite National Park, California, and the climb made famous through the Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo, streamed by Netflix. The story of Alex Honnold's four-hour free ascent of one of the hardest rock climbs anywhere. However, passions are like comets, then another one comes along. This is not a climbing story per se, not even close but it's where it all began. Piloting a hot air balloon over Mount Everest was a natural extension to my mountaineering interests, and flying was in my genes. The story of our first attempt at ballooning over Everest in 1985 and our subsequent success in 1991 requires more than a mention in what follows. With cameraman Leo Dickinson on board, I crossed directly over the summit in a spectacular flight, tempered only by a bone-crunching crash a permanent reminder of how not to land a balloon. Although in aviation, any landing you walk away from is a good one. We made two award-winning documentaries for National Geographic. However, ugly stuff happened on that second expedition, not revealed in the film that deserves explanation, and I'll get to that eventually. Climbing the improbable, flying over Everest, establishing commercial ballooning over the city of Melbourne, creating Sydney Road Community School, diverting teenagers from the criminal justice system with Gil Freeman, educator extraordinaire, and crossing Australia in a balloon shaped like the Sydney Opera House, are rattling good yarns, colourful, gripping, humorous, and occasionally tragic. However, restricting this memoir to adventures of daring do by deleting the politics, drugs, and money, saving me from prosecution, would hollow out the story, and that's not happening. Murder and mayhem are way more compelling than a trash balloon, broken bones, and an Annapurna avalanche. All right, go for it, Jamie. We'll come straight to you. Instant reaction. Yeah, um, that's just not working for, for me to be hmm. completely um, blunt about it. Like the, I, I, from the title and the blurb, I had literally no idea what to expect from this at all. I, I've, I've got no no reason to. To, to to know why I should read it at all. When you started reading about about him, and it suddenly gets a bit more interesting. You're like, oh right, smuggler. Okay, cool. And I just, yeah, it's. I mean, it was tidy writing, but I'm just, I've just got no idea why I'd be reading that. It, it's mm -hmm. just like a list of stuff that he's done that he's shown off about. I think there's no, there's no hook to it. Like, it, I, I guess we're sort of, we could probably end up playing in the sort of the Howard Marks, Mr. Nice territory, but. Yeah. But the reason that is works so well is because it's just got this really good hook. He's a nice, yeah. affable Welsh guy who just happens to be an international drug dealer, and the, and you get that. You you can see why you want to read this. But for me, it's the, there was one line about it in there. I'll get to that full stop eventually. I just think that sums up sort of where where I feel about it. I'm sure yeah. there's a good story in there. I'm sure oh, yeah. he's got. I'm sure there's lots of good us. stories there actually. Oh, none of it's come across there at all. No, I, not, there's no not. reason for me to, to read it on a tour. Yeah, I went, yeah I, when you're reading about him, I was like, oh, yeah, tell me that, tell me that, tell me that. And oh. I sort of got to there and I climbed yeah. some mountains, went in the balloon. Yeah. yeah. I, want, yeah. I, want to hear the, I want to hear the cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why not? That's what we pay the money for. Uh, what do you think, Dean? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm in a similar position. I, I, want, it, I want the cool stuff too. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, again, 
same kind of thing as what Jamie's already said from the title and the blurb I found the blurb a little bit confusing um, <coughs> it's a little bit muddled and I didn't really know what to expect from that um, and then again you, you kind of find out a bit more about Chris and you think well wow this guy's you know he's, he's lived a life he's got, he's got loads of really cool stories to tell um, but again you know I wanted to get straight in let's, let's, let's have him dangling off a balloon or you know yeah. Uh, yeah. a mountain or something you know uh, it, we kind of had that same it, we've kind of had a, a similar theme um, throughout the night whereas there hasn't really been a problem with anybody's writing um, I think we've just had issues with people starting um, perhaps in the wrong place mm. or starting with too much backstory um, I think you know people were saying in the chat room again we, we were kind of getting into sort of history lessons mm. uh, once again um, you know I mean let's, let's just yeah let's start with one of those cool stories please and um, mm. yeah, work this Vag- backstory Vagabond says feels like I, I've got to say I think the uh, the genius room absolutely spot on here chris i mean every comment is good and valid i mean it's it's always good in any case but they, they, i think they're really incisive and they go to the heart of exactly what you need to do here this is you know this is the real value of of the genius room and please don't just don't just say oh i didn't like it i didn't didn't i don't know they scored yet we'll find out in a minute but don't just say oh, i didn't like it horrible people take take these 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 comments and these reactions that are absolutely genuine take them really seriously please i beg you to um vagabond says feels i thought this was such a good comment it feels like the name dropping dude you're stuck next to at a dinner party make it personal and gussy it up yes 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 a million times yes please uh let's just look at the numbers 46 not great not great um but you know not a total disaster i think is that's you know, you know, I, I, there's lots of potential here. The thing is that agents get really excited about potential, and I can see the potential here. Um, what I think you decided to do is just, you know, just dangle a little bit in front of us to begin with. I'll tell them, maybe tell them a little about this, a little about Kenjin Junger, a little about this and that and the other, and they will be hooked. And we're not. We're not. And the, uh, my point of view, and we'll see what uh, uh, Dean and Jamie think in a minute, my point of view is this, that it sounds like you've got lots and lots of great stories there. Okay, we want to be there with you. We've got to be with there with you. You've got to write it as scene by scene. And it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my involvement in your scene. If you, you know, you may have to get over the ego a little bit to write that. But it's, that's what it is. It's imagine a, 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 a necklace of pearls. Each one is a little scene. And that's what you're doing. You're just stringing one scene next to the next one. And, and each scene is absolutely amazing. And it allows us to do that thing that we love about books like this. That is, it's vicarious pleasure. We are never in a million years going to go and climb Kenjin Junga. We're never in a million years going to want to go up on a, on a hot air balloon with you or something like that or all the other things you've done in your life. But we will go there in a book if you offer us the opportunity. So it's scene by scene by scene. Make each scene amazing. Throw away everything you've done. Throw away everything you've done and start again scene by scene. Tell me, guys, am I talking rubbish? No, no, absolutely no, right. I, I, think think you, I think we forget. You. That, um, You'll come back. We'll invite you back. <laughs> <laughs> um, non-fiction needs narrative as well. Like, particularly yeah, memoir. This is someone's life yeah. story, and it needs to be written. You know, even down to the writing it using a three-act structure. Like, properly tell yeah. a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. like, like it's narrative. It's called narrative non-fiction for a reason. It's because you need to go start here, get invested in somebody, learn about their lives, and have a payoff, and mm. rather than just sort of a list of stuff that you've done. 
we need to get yeah. invested as a person I totally agree. Oh, I totally agree. Let's look at the numbers. Fine, it's 46 for you. Let's go to the scorecard. Oh, yeah. So 58 from uh, for Lizzie. Not bad, Lizzie. Uh, Sam's got 63. Very closely followed there by David of Dog World. But actually, yes, it is. It is you. It is you, Sam. You are. <laughs> your old show winner sam how about that loved your writing loved your writing not sure how to sell it not sure how to make money out of it but loved the writing and i loved um doing pop-ups again it's been a week or two hasn't it over over uh, uh seasonal break hope you had a good break i hope it was relaxing and uh, everything you know we, we we really we're in great need of at the moment i think um I've enjoyed everything about today's show. I've very much enjoyed having Jamie back. Isn't he wonderful? He's got a paperback coming out. Jamie, we forgot to to tell people about your paperback. When's your paperback coming yeah. out, Jamie? <laughs> February the 3rd. Um, and it's. I want to send everyone to Waterstones because there's a beautiful exclusive edition in Waterstones with a lovely oh. spray green sprayed edge, which oh, is a thing of beauty. Yeah, only Benjamin Watson's have got their, they've got their own exclusive edition, which that's is a, just That's a wonderful gorgeous. thing to do. That's a wonderful thing to do. Um, and what we want, of course, is we want you to sign that, and suddenly you've got a collector's edition. Any chance of I'll that? I'll go and sign all of them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, of course, I'll send you a copy. Well, hopefully. I mean, hopefully in a, in a few weeks' time, you might even be able to do some uh, in-store appearances and things like that. Um, so talking about it, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So look, guys, we've had a great show. We're back in the flow again. Pop-up submissions is back and we want your submissions. So, you know, you know how to do it. Go to the website and do it. I want to say thank you so much to Jamie, to Dean, to everybody behind the scenes. You know who you are. And thank you particularly to the Genius Room, who I thought were absolutely on fire today. Guys, let's do it all again. Same time. Next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. All young men with suits and ties Just sitting in the crowd smoking big cigars I hope you're ready for what's coming now I'm the one on the lady go bring it down There's a joint on the corner where the big boys play Where the whiskey's running as the river's but They all never come for the booze and face I'm the one on the lady go rock this place Big boys play.